So Caesarea Philippi, where the gospel takes place today, uh, is about uh, an hour north of the Sea of Galilee. It's way up there. And today it's a, a state park or a national park run by the Israeli government. And, uh, but you can go in there and you, you stand before this huge rock, about 100 feet high, it's about as long, or it's about, about as wide. About as deep, it's just this mammoth rock there. And it uh, is the place where Peter just made this confession. This huge rock. And so it's like Jesus is Simon, son of John. A mere mortal has uh, revealed this to you, but my heavenly father. So he calls him, changes his name. It's that kind of a moment. Whenever somebody's name gets changed in scripture, like Abraham and, 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 and these folks, uh, it's always like a significant change in who they are, their role, their, their mission. So Jesus has just given him a huge mission, changes his name. And he says, I give it to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys. And so we can look back at the first reading to Isaiah. And in Isaiah, Isaiah is upset with the people who are the king's cabinet. Shebna and his 12 counselors uh, are misbehaving. And so Shebna is the, is the steward for the king. And he exercises all the power of the king in his domain on his behalf. Shebna is like the second-hand man. He, the king says, do this, and Shebna makes sure it gets done. And so the sign that Shebna was the steward, that he exercised the king's authority, is that the king would give him the keys to the kingdom. And so Isaiah is saying, Shebna, you and your 12 guys are terrible. So you're going to, you're, the keys are going to be taken away from you because you, you don't know how to exercise your authority on behalf of the king. We're going to give the keys to somebody else. We're going to give it to... Hilkiah, he's going to do a better job. So, you, so you're, you know, you're, you guys are going to get fired. That's basically what this, uh, Isaiah is saying. And so what Jesus is doing, because he's the king, and he's got his 12 apostles who are his cabinet. And he basically says, Peter, you're the steward now. I'm the king, and you're going to be the steward. You're going to exercise my authority on my behalf. Here are the keys. He fired the ruling elites in Jerusalem. He fired the Pharisees in this moment. Because the Pharisees were like Shebna and they weren't doing their job. So he fired them. And basically says, I'm the king and in the new kingdom, Peter, you're going to be the steward. You got the keys. What's bound is bound, as loose is loose. And you got your 12, you got your 11 brothers who are going to help you. Don't mess it up. This business with the keys. Yeah. It's like you get, you get uh, like your son or daughter. They finally get their driver's license. You give them the keys. And you say, don't mess up. Or I'm going to have to take the keys away from you. <laughs> my, my, uh, the first day I got my driver's license when I was 16, I got in a car accident. <laughs> It wasn't, as, it wasn't that bad, but it was, in my mind, it was the end of the world. 
because I was I went down to the Brim's drugstore. It's not there anymore because my mom needed something. I said I'll go. So I I drove to to Grimm's and as I was leaving, I parallel parked. I backed into somebody, and I just thought my world was over. Got out of the car and I was, no 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 damage at all. But I waited for the person to come out of the store. I said, Look, I'm sorry. Uh, don't tell my parents. <laughs> And he's like, no, it's, it's, it's fine. So I went home and I immediately told my parents. You know? And I, I heard, every time I heard a siren, I thought the police were coming to get me. You know? <laughs> Give me the keys. <laughs> so here's Peter. He's, he's got the keys. He's got the authority of the king. And the new kingdom, the church. And a big promise goes with that. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Be faithful, be guided by the Spirit. That confession prompted by the Spirit that I am the Christ is the same Spirit that is gonna guide you infallibly uh, through your office and your successors. Infallible on matters of faith and moral. All, right. All the way to Pope Francis, that authority, that promise is still being fulfilled. Now, let's jump ahead of, uh, a little bit. Uh, Peter uh, gets executed in Rome by Nero in the circus on the Vatican Hill. And crucified upside down, they take him after he's dead, bury him, there's a cemetery right next to the circus on the hill there, a pagan cemetery. And so it's close, they bury him up there, they disguise the grave without a marker, they just put a red wall there so the Christians know that that's where Peter is buried. And that's where it stays. 300 years later, Constantine legalizes Christianity and says, I'm going to build a church worthy of Peter on that spot where he is buried. Where that red wall is, I'm going to encase it in marble. I'm going to build a church over it. And so the other evidence that it's for Peter, besides all the uh, historical evidence, is the fact that that was like the po worst possible place Constantine could have put up that mammoth church. The ground was wrong. The soil was wrong, it was on a hill, it was swampy, it was marshy, it was inaccessible. They had to bring dirt in from other places because the soil was so bad. And it was a cemetery. It was a cemetery filled with the, the graves of rich pagans who had power. And so Constantine was upsetting the, the, the ruling pagan elite by taking their cemetery and destroying it so he could put a church there for Peter. Now, so here's... Here's uh, Constantine. He excavates that entire hill, a mammoth undertaking. Takes, and then he brings in new soil to, to backfill it, to make it flat because it's on a hill. And so he has to excavate that cemetery. He's got to cut the, the tops off the tombs and backfill or fill them with dirt. And, and he does this. And he puts that marble casement over the red wall, over the place where Peter is buried. And he puts it right under the, 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 the ellipsis, the cross, where the church is, the very center of the church. So, that's where it stays. And for the next 1,600 years, that church lasts until Sixtus, uh, whatever number he was, comes in. And, or Pope Julius, excuse me, Pope Julius II comes in and he builds the new St. Peter's Basilica took the new St. Peter's Basilica and he built it over, he you know, tore down uh, in pieces the old church, 
and built a new church in its place. But they, ex they elevated the, 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 the new floor about 12 feet. And they used that old floor, the first St. Peter's, as the grottos, as the crypts, where they were going to bury all the popes. And so that's where they buried the popes. And so the new floor, the current St. Peter's, uh, is about 12 feet above the first floor. And downstairs is where they bury him. So, there we go. Now, let's jump ahead to 1939. At the outset of World War II, Pope Pius XI dies. Pope Pius XII has his funeral and buries him in the grottoes downstairs where the popes are buried. And as they're digging Pius XI's grave, they broke through the floor. And they found this dark cavern. When they put lights down, they could see tombs, like a little city, as they, they started to excavate it. And, and, as they, and, and they knew it was a, a pagan cemetery because they had urns in these little, little tombs, which is how the Romans did. They, buried, they burned themselves and put themselves in little urns, and they put themselves in these tombs. And, but as they started digging towards the area that would have been under the high altar, the center, they started to find Christian graves. And as they got closer and closer, all of a sudden, all those graves, instead of being in a line, all of a sudden started to be in a hodgepodge fashion, all those, two, all those Christian caskets, and they were pointing towards a central location as they started to excavate all this. And what they found in the center that all those caskets were pointing to was that red wall that had been hidden since Constantine, almost 2,000 years earlier. They found it. They hadn't seen the light of day. Excavated around it, found graffiti on it that said, Peter is here. Found a niche in the niche. And again, there's a huge story that goes behind the bones. I'm not going to go into that right now. So they, they, in that niche, they found bones. And the bones that they found were the bones of a man about uh, 60 to 65 years old, short of stature, stocky, big boned, and woven within the, the bones was purple fiber. Purple fiber was only used by the emperor. That was royalty. So at some point, those bones had been wrapped in purple fiber by the emperor. Well, they had been buried in uh, the, 300, three, uh, the 320s. That was Constantine. He built that church. He put those bones there. He wrapped them in his imperial cloth. And all the bone groups were there except one. The feet. Because when he was crucified, the way they dispatched a body that had been crucified in that fashion, they cut it off at the feet. Let the body drop. They took the body and buried it in that cemetery and threw the feet away. So as Paul VI said, after all the excavations and examinations had been finished, after the, the scavi, the excavation, had been open to the public, you can actually go there if you have a ticket and see it. It's amazing. I actually got to see the bones. They're in this little case built by NASA. So it's bomb-proof, fireproof, everything-proof. And they, you can see it sitting in the little niche where they found them. Paul, Paul VI said, as, as, as certain as we can possibly be, these are the bones of the first apostle, Peter. What did Jesus say? Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Literally, the church, the biggest church in Christendom, the, the biggest dome ever thrown up against heaven's blue, rests upon the bones 
of the first apostle and fulfillment of that promise. And what goes around the circumference of that entire uh, of the nave of, of the new St. Peter's? Peter, you are rocking on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What you bind is bind, bound what you loose is loosed. It's an amazing story. And I wanted to tell it to you today because it's important that we understand the origins of our Pope and the authority that he has. It's Old Testament stuff. It's, it's scripture fulfillment. What Jesus did was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. It was how the kings operated back then. And Jesus as the new king and the new kingdom took that model and gave it to us. And we still have it. If there's ever evidence of the divine origins of our church, the only church that Christ, Christ founded, it's that people like Peter could lead a church. Peter and his impetuousness, his, his, his hard-headedness, his wrong-headedness. He was a fisherman amongst other fishermen, illiterate men, and, he, and Jesus gave them the keys. Because it's not us who leads, it's Jesus. It's the Spirit that leads this church through his chosen ones. That spirit also gives Pope Francis, as it gave all the previous ones, that ability to proclaim in faith and morals things that are absolutely true, without a doubt, by Christ's very promise and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's us. It's ever proof that this church is divinely inspired and, and ordained by Christ himself. It's the fact that after 2,000 years, we're still here. People like Peter and Francis and people like us who sit in these pews. Somehow, through all of our mess and our sinfulness, it's Jesus who's doing it, not us. As Chesterton said, because we, we, we get it, we, our enthusiasms get in the way. And we're tempted to say, you know, I don't like this teaching. I don't like that one. I don't like this pope. I don't like what he's doing. Chesterton said it right. I don't need my church to be right when I'm right. I need my church to be right when I'm wrong because I'm wrong a lot. The, the gift that we have received in this institution is something we should not take lightly. That those bones resting in the soil for over 2,000 years are still that sure promise that Christ loves us. And our commitment to him and our love for him, for Jesus, is the relationship that we have with him. And in that relationship of love that we share with Jesus, we finally know who we are. And because we know who we are and we know who he is, we know what to do. Who do they say that I am? And the ones who got it wrong, that whole list, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, they were all wrong. And those are the people that didn't follow Jesus. Those are the people that didn't have a relationship with him. Those are the people that did not walk with him in his company. Those are the people that did not share a meal with him. It was only the ones 
who spent time with him and prayed with him and loved him and ate with him and walked with him and ministered with him, those are the ones who know who, who he is. That was Peter. Out of our relationship with Jesus in prayer, the sacraments, the church, Mary, the saints, this beautiful institution, we have a relationship with Jesus. We stay in that relationship. We stay in the church. We stay with Peter. And we'll know what we're supposed to do. And that God is going to use us to fulfill his plan. Praise God for that. It's all the work of Christ. Never was there a throne, a dome, so great as that one in Rome on the Vatican Hill. Never was there a dome so great thrown up against heaven's blue, as Fulton Sheen would say. Resting on those fragile, brittle, bleached out bones of the first apostle who carried in his hands a set of keys and those calloused hands held before us a church which opened a door to our salvation. And we get, and yet, we still get to follow him. We still get to walk in the shoes of the fishermen. Amen.